The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, let's pray. Lord, we uh, come before you today with hearts of worship, and uh, we want to be taught today, Lord, so I just pray that your spirit would speak through Randall, Lord, that you would uh, give us each something to take away from this service today. Um, Yeah, in your name we pray, Lord, amen. Thanks, Brooke. Hey, good morning. How are you? All right, well, uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Randall. Um, I'm one of the pastors on staff, along with Billy. And uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we're going through the book of James. And so that's where we've been walking through throughout this summer. Um, I'm really excited about this book because uh, this book in particular is extremely practical. If you're looking about how uh, this this text, everything, it's very practical. And here's the point of James. Uh, Throughout the book of James, and we saw it as Matt preached the past few weeks in James 2, it's that James is digging deep into whether or not we have a real faith. If our faith is real, authentic, genuine, that's what he's after here. And so essentially he's asking, do you have a saving faith in Jesus? And is it real? That's what he's asking us. And so our text today is James 3, 1 through 12. And again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be walking through these verses. And the title of today's message is Words matter. Words matter. Now in 2015, uh, John Ronson wrote an article in the New York Times entitled, How One Stupid Tweet Blew Up Justine Sacco's Life. One stupid tweet blew up Justine Sacco's life. And here's what he says. As she made the long journey from New York to South Africa to visit family during the holiday in 2013, Justine Sacco, 30 years old, and the Senior Director of Corporate Communications at IAC began tweeting little jokes about the indignities of travel. 
And on December 20th, before the final leg of her trip to Cape Town, she tweeted, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. She chuckled to herself as she pressed send, then uh, wandered around the airport terminal for about a half an hour, sporadically checking her phone. No one replied, which didn't surprise her. She only had 170 Twitter followers. Sacco board, boarded the plane. It was an 11-hour flight, so she slept. When the plane landed in Cape Town and was taxiing on the runway, she turned on her phone. Right away, she got a text from someone she hadn't spoken to since high school. I'm so sorry to see what's happening. Sacco looked at it, baffled. Then another text. You need to call me immediately. It was her best friend, Hannah. Then her phone exploded with more texts and alerts. And then it rang. It was Hannah. You're the number one worldwide trend on Twitter right now. Sacco's Twitter feed had become a horror show. Now, our text today is James 3, 1 through 12. And, and James is reminding us of the life-altering power of our speech. See, Justine Sacco just simply tweeted something out. It, to her, she thought it was funny. But it destroyed her life. We can see within society how the power of words can either build up or destroy. It happens all the time. And the power of words should not be a surprise to us as Christians. Because throughout the Bible, we find out that our God is a God who speaks and when he speaks, there's power. We see it from the very beginning. In Genesis 1-3, it says this, and God said, let there be light. You see, God spoke and he created the universe. Talking about Jesus in Hebrews 1-3, it says, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. See, there's power in words. Throughout the Bible, God powerfully speaks and his words are always pure and good. But James tells us today that our words, that the power of our words, because of personal sin, can be the exact opposite. He tells us that it can be a deadly poison. He says that in verse 8. And so what's the source of this poison? Matthew 15, 19, Jesus tells us it's the heart. It's the heart. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Jesus cuts straight to the core of the issue and says that our hearts are evil. They're full of deadly poison. And it's the outflow of our hearts that will show up in our speech. Now, I'm a father of three kids. I've known them their whole lives. And here's the thing I know, is that my eight-year-old, my six-year-old, and my four-year-old, I never taught them how to annoy each other. I never taught them how to be rude to one another. I never 
sat them down and said, hey, here's some ways that you can really get on your siblings' nerves today and really hurt their feelings. Never had that conversation with them. But naturally, within their own hearts, it just comes out. And so it's almost daily that there's some type of explosive interaction relationally that happens within my kids. And here's the truth. It happens within us too, right? It happens with us too. And what we find is that words matter. And so again, our text is James 3, 1 through 12. And here's the context. Again, for the past few weeks, Matt has broken down James 2 and did a fantastic job on that. And so if you haven't listened yet, go on the podcast and check that out. But in James 2, he's about exposing that false faith, right? The false faith. And so he's exposing counterfeit faith. And he honed in particularly in James 2 on actions, our works, what we're doing, how we're living out our faith in our lives. And he says that our actions will expose the type of faith that we have. And now in James 3, he turns from the outward actions that we have to our speech. And so let me ask, if someone had a voice recorder and said, you need to carry this with yourself the whole week. And the only thing that they listened to at the end of that week was just your words throughout the day. Would they be able to distinguish if you were a Christian by just what they heard? Just the language, just the things that we said. And so here, James is addressing our speech in three ways. And he gives us, number one, a warning. Number two, a visual. And number three, a healer. A warning, a visual, a healer. And we see that in today's text. And so we're gonna start out with the first one, a warning. Look at verses one and two. Here's what it says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Now, this text in particular is very important because this applies to this the way that we see the word of God, the way that it's being taught, and just the importance that God places on his own word and how it is taught. And so there are two parts to this, and it really starts out with a warning, number one, to teachers. Verse one, not many of you should become teachers. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Okay, that's important because James starts to specifically warn people like me. People like me, who right now we are talking through the word of God. And and so what he says is, uh, we, he says, you know, many of you should not become teachers. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So even what he's saying, he is accountable to God. Here's the thing about my job as a preacher. I am not here to write the mail. I'm here to deliver it. That's my job. 
Preaching is centered upon God's message, not about my message. Preaching is about God's word, not Randall's opinion. And I will be held accountable by God for what I say about his word. See, we say, well, many, many of us have had interactions or, or, or experiences maybe within the church where we've been hurt and things have happened. And we say, well, why did this happen, right? That's why God says, when you teach, what you say is so important. And he will hold us accountable for what's said. Commentator Sam Albury writes, teachers will be judged more strictly because they have the capacity to do particular damage to the church. Their words will either convey the truth or obscure and even deny it. We need to pray for those in our churches who teach. And so please pray for me as I preach the word of God. See, 1 Peter 4.11 says this, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Right? There's an accountability to God himself when his word is being spoken. And so that's the first warning. The second warning is this, a warning to all. So it's not just teachers, but it's all. Look at verse two. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now, where does our stumbling begin? For according to James, it starts with our words, what we say. And so James is warning us, as David Platt says, of our great potential to sin in what we say. We just need to be warned today that where words are many, sin is not absent, like it says in Proverbs. Right, that is possible, that, that's a part of the warning here. And, and I'm guessing that some of the most, maybe nightmarish things that you've ever experienced has started with words. Maybe it's been things that you've said that, that you regret. Might have been the text, the email, that phone conversation, the, the comment. And that's why James warned us earlier in James 1.19 when he says this. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James uses the word perfect in verse two when he says, um, if anyone of you does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. This word for perfect can also be translated as mature. Now to be a mature Christian is to be able to keep a tight rein on your tongue. And he tells us that being able to do that, tight rein on your tongue, it's such a slippery slope for us all, right? It's not like some people are just born better with it than others. It's all of us struggle with this. Again, James included. And so he has to start with this warning for all of us. Secondly, after the warning, he gives us a visual. So this is the next step, right? He wants us to really get this. Here's what he says in verses three through eight. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great is a forest, 
set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast, the bird of of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no, listen, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James now gives us this visual. He says, I want you to look at life and I want you to think about a horse. I want you to think about a ship. And I want you to think about a fire, just a small spark fire. And what's the common thread of these visuals? That whether it's the horse, whether it's the ship, the, there's a common thread between them all and they are all this. They're powerful They're all powerful, yet something small directs their path. So all you need to direct a horse is just a little bit. All you need for a ship is just a little rudder to be able to control it. And all it takes to set a forest ablaze is just a smark. And we know that. We we know that well here in California, right? And so James gives us his visual and he goes on in verses seven and eight and says, for every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and a sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. So he's saying there's this small thing within you and me that we have that we have no control over. It's so powerful that we can't control it. And again, Sam Oliberry says this in his commentary on it. He says, we need to grasp this or we will misunderstand what James is saying in these verses. He's not outlining a programming for mastering our tongues. His aim is precisely the opposite. He is saying, this is not something you are able to do. You need to desperately, but you can't. It is beyond human capacity. Right, why? Because Jesus says again, that it's not just what comes out of your mouth, but it is what is in your heart that matters. And so he gets us to the very impossibility of us being able to control it. So what's the answer? Is James just trying to depress us and say, well, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. No, he's getting us to this point where we are so desperate for something beyond ourselves. Again, it's not a program that's gonna be able to help us to change our heart. What we need is the third part, a healer. And so look at verses nine through 12. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So what he's doing here as he's laying this out is James is addressing our duplicity as human beings. Right, the, 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 the two-facedness that we can have in life. It, it's the sickness in us all. And he gives us this specific example when he says this. He says, we bless our Lord and Father. 
but then we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now, what does this example reveal? It reveals that we can go to church, worship God, and even know that God created human beings in his likeness and still not be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. To still not see the significance that every human being is created in the image of God. And so he uncovers this duplicity that we all live with. Unless something happens. Unless God points it out in us and shows us the truth. And so that's the harsh reality. But when you know that you're sick, then you realize that you need a healer, right? And so first, he's pointing out that we all have this. Psalm 12, two through four and and verses six through seven say this. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. But listen to verse three. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from the generation, this generation forever. As God exposes our duplicity, even as human beings who go to church and we, we say we worship God, we bless God. As he points that out, James also calls these people brothers. You're still a part of the family of God. Like there is a duplicity in us. Yes, it needs to be exposed. But as it's exposed, God starts to cut away the junk in our lives. The areas where we're not real where we're not genuine. See, here's the thing I found about my relationship with Jesus, is that as I get closer to Jesus, he points out the duplicity in my life. He points out the areas where I am lacking greatly, but he does it because he loves me. He does it because he's a loving father. And he does it because he's the only one who can fill the gaps in my life. See, here's the thing about God. It says in Psalms that he is, his words are pure words. Do you know who the only one who isn't duplicitous is in life? It's God. It's God. Why do you think he is holding James so accountable to, be, to, to teaching and, and all these things? Like, why does he hold me accountable? Because I am not here to preach my words. I'm here to point you to God's words, which are the only pure words. See, the only healer, the only one who can heal us from our sickness is God himself. And what we see in Psalm 12 is that God must do surgery. He must cut away in us what is evil and sinful in our speech. And as his children, he'll do it in our lives, even if it's painful. Because again, that's what a loving father does. You know, yesterday I got a text message from a parent. My son is in this karate, um, he's on this team. 
And one of the, the things that they do is they, they've been practicing very hard over the past few weeks because they're going to a tournament soon. And there was one uh, little guy who just got on the team who's younger than my son. And one of the things that they're told to do on this team is you need to critique one another. When you're seeing each other not doing something right, you need to critique one another. You need to tell each other, hey, like this is what you're doing wrong. Well, during the camp, this little guy uh, who uh, was around my son got critiqued from my son. And it hurt his feelings. Uh, it hurt his feelings so bad that he came home from, from camp and said, I don't want to go back to karate anymore. And so his dad said, hey, why don't you write a note to Kai and just tell him, this is what you said and this is the way you said it and it hurt my feelings. And, and so we can talk about it and have a conversation. And I, and I got that text message and I saw the note that he wrote and just the, the, the sensitivity in who he was. And it was like, man, it was, it was so mature for him to write that. And I texted back to the parent. I said, your son is so mature for writing this and we're gonna walk through this together with my son. And so right after practice, we came together and we talked and this little guy came over to my son and, and they talked it out. And, he, and we read the note together. And I, I said, here's the thing I want you to learn, Kai. There's major power in the words that you say. And even the way that you say it. I know you're told to critique one another, but there are ways that you can do that. And so we're talking about that and, and helping him to, to know how to critique in a way that's gonna be helpful for some people as they're listening. Right, but here's the thing. Because my son had this moment doesn't mean that he's not my son anymore, right? Like he is, because he's my son, I am here to help him through this and walk with him through this so that he can be better. And as we look at James and he's talking to the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, he's saying, okay, let me point something out, but God wants to do something in your life to change you to change your words, to change the trajectory because it's so powerful, the things that we say, that it can set ablaze our life. It can destroy our life. Again, we don't have to look far in the news media to see that it happens to people all the time. But again, James is telling this, this to us as a warning to help us as we follow Christ. And so just some quick takeaways. How does God do surgery in our lives? By first exposing our sin, exposing our sin. This is the hard part, right? This is going to the doctor and the doctor coming in and say, it's time for your physical. And so it's open up your mouth, open up wide. Ah, you know, that type of moment. Let me check inside. Let me check and see if it's healthy or not. And here's what God finds. Deception, dishonesty, denial. Right, like we can, we can brush it off and say there's like white lies and all that stuff and it's not really a lie because it, 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 that's not true. 
It's duplicitous. And it can be manipulating. See, and so what God is trying to do is get down to the core of who we are and make us authentic people. Blaise Pascal said something interesting. He says, I lay it down as a fact that if all men knew what others say of them, there would not be four friends in the world. It's harsh. But if we were to think about everything that we said about everyone, right? Our sin needs to be exposed. And so as it's being exposed, here's the thing. The second takeaway is this, that God will give us specifics. He will give us specifics. God will lovingly show us different areas in our lives where our speech does not match up, but it can also hurt others and bring destruction on relationships. I remember listening to a pastor once who I highly respect, and he shared that one day he uh, was talking to his wife on the phone and the voice recorder, voice message uh, picked up their, their conversation. And he talked to her, hung up the phone, but then he heard his voice back to his wife on the phone. And it wasn't a good thing that he heard. The tone, the way he talked with her. And here was the honest part. He said, you know, when I meet new people and I talk with them, he says, I'm energetic and I'm nice and I'm kind. But he said, in that moment, God exposed to me that I can be that way at church on Sunday, but when I have a simple conversation with my wife, it's completely different. God had to expose that in a very practical way for him. Again, if we were recorded and we were to listen back to what we heard, what, what would we hear? Because God will give us specifics because he wants us to change, but not on our strength, on his strength. See, because ultimately he's offered the cure. That's the last takeaway. He's offered the cure. See, what did it take to heal the poisonous venom of our tongue? James wasn't mincing words when he says that it's the very fire of hell that it is set ablaze from our speech. It was ultimately this, that Jesus himself had to die for every sinful word that we've spoken for every sinful thought that we've had, for everything that's deep within our hearts that only God knows. It was that Jesus himself had to die for every one of those things. You see, it was him who took the venomous, poisonous snake bites for us. He took the fiery wrath of God for us. Where did he do this? Well, Jesus ultimately did this when he went to the cross for our sins. 
You see, what is it that's gonna change us, that's gonna help us, that's gonna transform us? It's when we sit under the cross and we see the sacrifice that Jesus himself made in verses where it says like this, Isaiah 53, seven, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus had every right to justify himself, to say, you're wrong, I'm right. Jesus could have spit out, (laughs) spit us out, but yet he did not open his mouth. And it said he was led like a lamb to the slaughter all the way to the cross. Carrying that cross, carrying our sins, carrying our shame. You say, well, well, what if I said something that that just, there's no way that there could be forgiveness for that. I'm sorry. That's not possible. Maybe that's how the world works, but that's not how Jesus works. He said, I died for every one of those things that you said, that you thought. And so when we're corrected, when we're brought to the truth of ourselves, we are met with a grace that should be indescribable. A powerful grace, a costly grace that Jesus said, it cost me my blood Now let me change you from the inside out. And so today, we need to remember as a church, as a people, that words do matter. And that because of the grace of God, there's forgiveness, whatever our past might be and whatever future we have ahead. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are a loving father that did not cast us out when we said the wrong thing and which we rightly would have deserved. But by your grace, you've given us a new life. We're not the people we used to be. I look at my life and the things that I've said and done. And if, it were, if I were to think upon that, I would, I would be so ashamed. I could never show my face but it is because of your grace, Lord, that we can lift our heads and that we can know that we are forgiven. And so help us, Lord, today to know the power of our words and what we say and that because of your grace, we can get up today and have a new life in Jesus. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, convict our hearts, whatever that may be, and show us the areas where we need to grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.